I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to wrap up Hosea. I, I love this book. In fact, I started uh, studying the prophets in COVID because I started realizing something's going on. Did you start to feel that? Something's happening during that time that was starting to wake us up. What's happening? What's going on? So much confusion, so much division. What's going on? And so I started studying the prophets and I got to Hosea and I was like, oh my gosh, this is us. This is us. And we've got to deal with what it's saying. It is a book for us right now. And so for the last few months, we've been diving into this. And I know at times it's uncomfortable. There's language in here that we don't really like. There's concepts that are being brought out. How about the fact that God had a prophet married a prostitute? Mary Gomer, and she was having relationships outside of their, like, what do you do with that? It makes us uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with that. And so we've been wrestling over the last few months, but there's a common theme that is running through this book, and it's this idea of to know God. It's a Hebrew term. It's yada. And yada isn't about just knowing about God. It's intimately knowing God. And I think for so many people, we know about God, and we make judgments about God, but we don't know intimately know God. And the invitation in this entire book is, let us talk about how God loves us and how God wants to know us and what is preventing us from really knowing him. What is happening to us as a result of running to this adulterous way of living, this orphan way of living that is separating us from all that we can find wholeness and fullness and satisfaction in. This is the book of Hosea. And so we're going to wrap up in chapter 14. We're going to go through all these verses. But before we do that, I would really love for you yourself to read it. Uh, chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, it's nine verses. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Just read chapter 14 on your own. Ask the Spirit of God to give you wisdom and to teach you as you are reading it. And then we'll dig in.
All right, let's do this. Uh, tell me some things. You can just yell it out loud. What, what stood out to you? What stood out to you as you were reading through that? What stood out? Just yell it out loud. The ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. It's great. What else? Repentance. Thank you. Return. Very good. What? Your sins have become your downfall. What else? Give up idols. Great. What else? He let go, let go of his anger. He let go of his anger. What else? He will heal our waywardness. What else? He gives the words to speak to him when we don't have them. What else? Healing. Great. When I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And uh, my dad, for my birthday, took me to this magical place called Toys R Us. Oh, it was like everything a child could ever want was at Toys R Us, right? It's kind of like Disneyland for kids. But uh, went into Toys R Us, and this is in the 80s, and all I wanted was a BMX bike. I had that old school bike with the, the, the pedal brakes, but all I wanted was a BMX bike that had the handlebar brakes. Anyway, so we go in, and my dad says, pick out a bike, which was unusual for our family. Um, and so I went, and I picked out this bike, and it was called the Viper, and it was all chromed out, the Viper. Does that not sound bad, right? It was bad. Anyway, so my dad brought it home, put it all together, and he told me, so we lived at the top, of like one of the highest points in our area in Ohio. And uh, if you know anything about Ohio, it looks more like this than this. But anyway, uh, we lived at the highest point in, in in our, in our town, and our house was at the very precipice. So that means you had to go up our house, and then uh, it would go down the other side. And so my dad put together the bike, and, and, and every Sunday we would go down uh, and play at the park down at the bottom of the other side of the hill. My dad was like, listen, don't take the bike. You're not strong enough to pull the brakes yet, okay? You got to work into that. You're not strong enough yet. So we went and got my sisters ready, and I was like, fool, I can ride this BMX bike. I'm hardcore, right? So I get on the BMX bike. I would have never told my dad fool. Um, anyway, I felt it inside though, internal. And so I got on the bike and I was having a blast. I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about. This is so great. Now, here's the thing. I uh, don't know much about math or physics or anything like that. I went to Bible college to avoid all of that. And so here's what I do know uh, through this experience is there is a point when you are riding a bike down a hill where it's a lot of fun and it's so great. And then there's this thing called terminal velocity where it goes from having fun to, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Okay. And I hit that point just past half of the hill on the way down of where it was fun. And now I'm like, I'm going to die. So I reverted back to old bike technology and went to slam on the brakes and the pedals, which I'm not even kidding, had viper teeth on them, came and bit me on the shin. And so now I'm screaming as I'm going down this hill, I'm bleeding from my shin. And my dad was right, I couldn't stop the bike. So I'm heading down the hill at the bottom of this hill is this road and I hit the road. I flipped over the handlebars. I went through a briar patch, briar bush, landed on my back and passed out. And I woke up and I had this thought, I deserve to be here. He told me not to do it and I didn't listen. I deserve to be here. 
Hosea is trying to awaken us. That's what the prophet's job was to do, is to awaken us to the reality of who we are and who he is and what is going on. Why is there this fracture? Why is there this thing inside of us that continues to live this adulterous life, not just through infidelity, but all types of adultery? Adultery with the world, adultery with money, Adultery with insecurity, adultery trying to fill this thing inside of us that only God can fill up. And so, of course, verse 1 starts off like this, return. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. You have stumbled because of this adulterous way this orphan way in which you've been living your life. Now, this is a reoccurring theme all throughout the book of Hosea. 22 times he says, return to the Lord. It's like, come home, come back, repent. You can't keep living like this. It's not good for you. It's hurting you. Union is found in the Father and you've separated yourself. You've inebriated yourself with everything other than me. And it's why. Your anxiety is at the highest levels it's ever been, I'm speaking to us now, in history. It's why we can't choose, find out what's up and down. We mistrust everything and everybody. Return. There's a sin problem. There's something that's preventing us from finding life and life to the full and a peace that passes all understanding. And so he says, return to the Lord. This is not just about Hosea. This is the whole scripture since Genesis 3 all the way through the Bible. It's about a return. It's about coming back. It's about who we are and who he is in the story of what a God who loves his people is willing to do to restore them back. And what he says to you, he says to me through the prophet Hosea and all throughout the scriptures is come back. Return. Return. The centerpiece of, of, of this book is Hosea 6.1, a passage that David taught. He says, come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down so that he may bind us up. The reality about returning is this, is that there's been a departure. That's what we're being addressed, that something has happened in our lives that has removed us that we've removed ourselves from this union with the Father, this marital covenant between the bridegroom and us, the bride, and we've run after other things. It's like, come back. And I also love that this isn't just a personal thing for you and I. It's a corporate declaration. He's speaking to individuals within Israel, but then he's also speaking to the nations of Israel. That's why he uses the word us. We're in this together. Your individual sin impacts me and mine impacts you. You're not on some island sinning alone. It impacts us, all of us. And so he's not just speaking to us as individuals. He's speaking to us as his people. And he says, return to the Lord. And here's the really interesting thing about this period of church history that I find the fascinating 
is that we're talking a lot about revival. We need revival. We need to make this place great again. We need to come back. We need to return to the Lord, right? We need, and I love that. Except that oftentimes, as we're speaking about it, it is like this meta-declaration that doesn't impact me as an individual. It's like, we all need to. No, no, I need to. I affect the all. My personal decisions, my personal failures, my personal abandonment affects the all. And in every different revival that we have seen, right up to the one we just had in February in Asbury, is this, individuals repenting and returning back to the Lord. And when we see that, we see a nation look at the local church. There is a unity that happens when we repent. I need to return to the Lord. I need to repent of my sin. You do too. And there is a world that is watching us. If we want revival to happen, we have to first look and go, where am I at with Jesus? Alan Carr says this, I thought this was so great in context of Hosea 6.1. Before there will be a revival in our churches, there must be a revival in the hearts of individual believers. This passage is a call for people of God, to, for the people of God to humble themselves before God, to seek his face and forgiveness for restoration. And my great fear is this. We're spending all of our time blaming the culture. The culture is indoctrinating our kids. I can't believe what they allow on TV these days. All of that is true. But it's avoiding the fact that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. And as long as we can make the culture the problem, we don't have to deal with our stuff. We don't have to deal with our sins. We just blame it on everybody. Well, my father and my mother, all of those things are real and they're hurtful and I'm sorry. I have that too in my life. But at the end of the day, I stand before God and I give an account for my sins. What I chose in light of what he's promised. And if we spend all our time blaming on everybody else, then we avoid the fact that we are a part of that problem. G.K. Chesterton said this in reply to an article written, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton at the height of his pastoral career just says this, I am. I am. I want revival just like you. But that revival starts between me and the Lord and me coming to understand that I am not living according to oftentimes, to what he's invited me into. And I need to repent, repent of that sin. Which is interesting because the next part of the passage, I think a lot of us avoid. I know I just, it messed me up. And it says this, for he, God, has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 he just does the good stuff. He just does the easy stuff. That's what his mercy does. His mercy doesn't do hard things. It just does really good things. Oftentimes when we think of mercy, it's just like flowers and dandelions and butterflies and everything's better. But in the context of this passage is a huge paradox that we don't want to deal with. He does both. A loving God will allow difficult things in your life to expose your insecurities. He is that jealous for you. That he will allow difficult things to happen in your life so you become aware of what's going on. A lot of times I'll tell people, they'll, they'll talk about their boss. 
or their direct report. They're the worst. They're making my life. I'm just going to leave. And my, my point to them a lot of times is this. What if God has put that person in your life to expose you? To expose you keep running away and running away and running away. What if it's you? And the Lord wants to use this. John Calvin once said this, that sometimes God gives a nation a leader it deserves to cause it to repent. And we don't like this. And listen, I struggled with it. And I got a buddy who's an orthopedic surgeon. I was like, you gotta help me with this. Orthopedic surgeons, man, they're like, they get after it, right? And so, I just said, listen, have you ever like had to break someone's arm? He goes, all the time. Like he even just said it like that. Just like, oh yeah, all the time, it's no big deal, right? What? Yeah, he said people will come in and they'll do like, like try to make their own splints like with like two by fours and duct tape. Sounds like something I would do, honestly. <laughs> um, and he said, and, and then their arms, all the nerves get all jacked up and they can't use it and it messes up their whole body. He goes, so we go in and I have to literally break the bone. And it's so painful for them. And I said, do you ever feel bad? He goes, never. He goes, I don't want them to hurt. But the only way that they will heal is to break that bone and reset it. That's mercy. That's merciful. This is what God is doing for you and me. It's merciful. We want to blame him instead of going, what are you trying to expose in me? What are you trying to reveal to me? Have I left you? Have I run away? Show me. Help me. I need help. Because we don't look at doctors as cruel people. They're like the care agents in our world. They're helping make things right that are wrong. How much more than we can say that about God? Who is saying here, I will do whatever I can to help in this return of you coming back to me. This is the story of Hosea. Remember, he is Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. He is known in scripture as the great physician and he is trying to care for you. He's trying to care for me and he's trying to care for us. But so often we are resisting that. I don't know about you, I struggle on Good Friday because I don't want to deal with my sin. I just want to get to Easter Sunday. Anybody with me? Like, can we get through all the bad news and get to the good stuff? And I've had to learn to wrestle on Good Friday. He who knew no sin became sin, my sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Look what he's doing. Look how he loves. Look how he cares. Look how he's pursuing us. We want resurrection power without being crucified to Christ and it won't work. You're gonna have to give up and return home the story of Hosea and honestly the story of all humanity in light of a good God who loves us and sees us and knows us. And that's why in verses two to three, what does that look like? It says this, take, a, take with you your words to return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquities. Accept what is good and we will pay with bulls the, uh, the, with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we'll say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Where this starts is with repentance. How do I return? I repent. 
God, I am a sinner in need of saving. Please forgive me. I keep running back to that vice like a dog returning to his vomit. Please forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. They say like this, Lewis, it's not just about actions. It's actually about words. You know, in my house, like if I hurt Patty, like say something unkind or maybe just not serving her as a husband should, typically I'll just like go do the dishes, clean the house, right? That's, I mean, I'm sure she appreciates that. But um, maybe I should do that more often. But right, how much more to come and say to her, I'm so sorry I hurt you. This is what he's saying. All your deeds. So many of you are coming to church and go, this will make up for it. Some of you are trying to give a little cash here to the church. That'll make up for it. Some of you are serving at church. That'll make up for it. Some of you are trying to help people. That'll make up for it. It won't. It won't. It's like, stop just like in Hosea 6.6. 6, it's like, I want your heart. And I need to confess. It says, if I confess with my mouth, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I need to use words and go, Lord, I've sinned against you. Like David, against you and you alone, oh God, have I sinned. It's you I've sinned against. Many of you need to confess with your mouth your sins to God. Not just go, I'll just do a bunch of good stuff to cover it all up. No, use your words. I found this commentary. It said this, honestly, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know the commentary. But it said the, it's the audible sound of the heart's desire the audible sound of what's happening internally in your life. And not only to repent, what happens after repent is we renounce all the things that we were trusting in. Assyria can't save us. I can't save us. I can't do it. They can't do it, which means this. We need to renounce anything that we have found security in other than Christ, which means this, church, your politicians will not save you. Your president will not save you. And my fear in this season, as we go into a political season, is that a bunch of Christians will do what we did in 2020, in 2019, and bank our, our security on a politician. Stop it. Stop, please. Stop. He is your king. I renounce this party or this party, and I focus completely on you and you alone. You are in charge of it all. I'm gonna renounce anything that I find security in other than Christ. And if we don't do this, we're just not gonna be a city on the hill for the world to see. We're gonna to continue to propagate division and violence. And that is not who he is. And it flows out of our hearts and we need to renounce. He says, renounce the Assyrians. Renounce the fact that you are trying to do it on your own over and over. Stop that, please. And confess him as king, him as Lord, him as the only one that can make your heart whole and full. He is God and there is no other. And then he transitions with this thought, in you, the orphan finds mercy. You know, I've spent a lot of time with orphans in India, 
We adopted our daughter from the city of Phoenix. And I found reoccurring patterns. And he's trying to pull this out. He's trying to go, that's you and me. We are orphans. And here's what I've learned about them. They are fear-based. They're just waiting for something bad to happen. They're used to getting hurt. They're obsessed with control. We call it the control monster. It's like as long as I'm in control and I can figure everything out, then I'm okay. It's not real. For so many of you, this is a reality of an orphaned heart. They're outcome-oriented. As long as whatever I want to happen happens, I'm fine. And if it doesn't happen, I rebel, revolt, and I run. Afraid of intimacy. Because I just don't want to get hurt again. I know that's true of so many of you. Afraid to trust the Lord. Because you're afraid. You're afraid to hope that he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he do. And so we live these orphan lives running around. And here's what I've learned. It's so painful that they're easily lured by those who are takers. They return back to those abusers. It's us. That's what's being exposed here, is we are the orphans. But here's what happens. In you, oh God, the orphan, you and I, what do we find? Mercy. Mercy. Dallas Willard helped me understand that in our, our days, mercy feels nice, but actually the word at the deepest core of it is pity. He pities us. Well, I don't want to be pitied. I can figure self out. I mean, I'll be, I mean, have mercy on me. Don't pity me. I can figure things. No, we need to be pitied. Pitied for our sin. Pitied for the way we run away. We want pity from our God. You know what I realized this week? I mean, this just blew my mind. In Genesis 3, Eve eats from the knowledge of good and evil, eats from the tree of not good, in rebellion to God, listens to the evil one. And as a result of that, sin invades our world and fractures what God made good and continues to fracture what God has made good. And just a few moments later, as, he, as God is uh, announcing a curse over the snake, he says this, that through this woman, that one will come that will crush the snake's head. Through this, he's not done with Eve. He doesn't go, we're gonna get rid of Eve and we're gonna find a new plan. He says, no, within Eve lives a tension. And this tension is this, she created sin and she's going to be a part of my redemption plan. That's each and every one of us. That's each and every one of us. Is it intrinsic in this moment that separated us from God? God used that person to then bring apart the Messiah Jesus. He's not done with her. He's not done with you. Just because you've made mistakes, just because you've messed up, doesn't mean he's done with you. He loves you, he sees you, and he knows you. And mercy is the mission of God. It's the mission of God over your heart, over my heart, over my life, and everybody's life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you couldn't do it on your own. And because he pitied you in your place, he took that. That's why in verses four through seven, it's so beautiful. Listen, I will heal. Who will? God will. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. Wow. 
I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. Like they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. He will make all things new. That's what his mercy does. When we return, that's what's available to us is this reality, is that he's the one who's doing it, not you. And as I was laying there on the ground, having crashed my bike, waking up, there was an older lady that came and she stood over me and it terrified me because I thought, I knew it, heaven's full of old people. (laughs) I knew it, it's just terrifying. (laughs) I knew it. Um, and then I looked up the hill because when I crashed, I had fallen backwards and I was looking up the hill that I had just coming down and my dad was running down the hill. And here's what I assumed, that he's so angry. He was gonna show up to me and go, you deserve this. You put yourself in this place. You didn't listen to me, so guess what? Now you got what's coming to you. You better figure out your way up the hill because I'm not doing it, buddy. That is what we would call or what we would feel is just. That's not what he did. He didn't say a word. He picked me up. He carried me up the hill. He picked the thorns out of my body. He was just glad that I was safe and that I was home. And I think so many of us have this view of God that he's got his finger in your chest telling you how evil and awful you are. And you're trying to spend your whole life trying to make up for a lifetime of sin and rebellion against him. And in that, you keep distancing yourself farther and farther and farther away from him. Receive his mercy. He's making all things new. Let go. Stop surviving. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He sent his son Jesus to to do what you couldn't do, to do what I couldn't do. We couldn't rescue ourselves. And it's his mercy that ran after us. It's his mercy that restored us. And my heart breaks for so many people trying so hard to do it on their own and no matter how hard, it never works. And they keep driving themselves deeper into addiction, deeper into an identity just that feels like the ground is swallowing them up instead of receiving free gift of grace and mercy that covers your sins. It's breaking my heart as a pastor, it's breaking my heart as I get to spend, my job is meeting with people every week who are running away from God. And they're missing out on everything, on his mercy, on his grace. So they have no peace. They have no joy. And he wants to heal every wound. He wants to restore all that was lost in you. He wants to make beautiful what's broken in you. He wants to comfort where there's loss. 
And he wants intimacy with you where you feel like there's division. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying to you right now, to me right now. Return home. My grace and my mercy is available to you. You can stop surviving. That's why in verse 8 he goes, O Ephraim, O Israel. O Israel, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Put your name there. Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff, why? Why do you keep trying to prove that you're enough? Oh, Jeff. You know, I'm intentional a lot of times when I'm up here because I want to do a good job. But I realize I'm loved by the Father. And so it's like, oh, Jeff, you have nothing to prove to anybody. You are loved. Right? It's like, this is what he's saying here. Just come on, Israel. Come on, Jeff. Don't, you don't have to do that. You know it doesn't fill you up. You know it always leaves you empty. You don't have to live that way anymore. He says, from me comes your fruit. Your fruit, Jeff. Your fruit. It's, he's pulling us into this idea in John 15 that it says this, four and five, abide in me. This is intimacy. Abide isn't following Jesus. It's union, intimacy with him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And here's what I find with a lot of people. They can't do anything. And that's why they're struggling so deeply. That's why they keep running away. That's why they keep surviving. Because they had not made a decision to truly abide in Christ. And then what happens is fruit, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, this fruit of the Spirit flows out of them because of this union. Their hearts and their souls are finally settled in the safe place in this union with the Lord, receiving his mercy that is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's why verse nine wraps up the entire book and it says this. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. But transgressions, transgressors, they stumble in them. What Hosea wants to do is say, choose today who you will serve. Choose. You can't keep living in this back and forth Laodicea type way, hot or cold. Choose to follow the Lord. Choose to abide in him and he'll abide in you. Choose union with him and you will find life and life to the full. If you choose not to, the transgression transgressors will stumble upon these words. They won't be able to live them out and they'll continually live in this adulterous, orphaned life, not life and life to the full. You know, I talk a lot about my time in India because it was so important and one of the most difficult parts of that ministry that I was a part of is spending time with women in the red light district, the prostitutes in the red light district and, and the ministry I worked alongside of would you know, try to restore a lot of them and unfortunately a lot of them would go back 
It was so painful, but many of them would stay. But here's the thing. If you're, if you're if in, in India, if you're from the red light district, you are literally unhuman. You don't matter. You, will, that's what, you are abandoned to live that life for the rest of your life. You are unmarriable. The culture on the whole rejects you completely, depraves you. And so you just live in this cycle. And then it hands off from generation to generation, from their kids to their kids. You know, for a man to marry a prostitute is to bring bad karma, bad luck, not just into his life, but his generation's life. And so they're completely desolate. Well, then on the other side, at the ministry I served, they had thousands of pastors that would plant churches all over India. Amazing. And then we would go through a Bible college. Well, a lot of these guys, before they went to, uh, on the, uh, to, be, to plant their church, they were unmarried. So they would go to the, the, the president of the organization and say, like a spiritual father, would you arrange a marriage for me? And this is what he would do. He would arrange a marriage with a pastor to a prostitute. And they would come to him and they say, oh, sir, like, I don't know if I can marry her. She is unclean. And he would say to them, oh, son, you are unclean and your father made you whole. This daughter is unclean and God made her pure. Are you willing to marry what God has made pure? In their marriage, the gospel lives out. And they now get to go share this because now she's restored fully to the community. They don't see her as a prostitute anymore. They just see her as a bride. And so they live this message out in the streets of the villages that they walk through. And here's what I want you to know. That's what has been done for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness, the bride, the beautiful, holy bride of Christ. Why, why do you continue to run away? Why do you continue to survive? Why do you continue to go after other loves when the only love that your soul desperately needs is right here in front of you, extending his grace and his mercy, the covers of multitude of sin. Let go and come home. Come, come return to the Lord. He is faithful he is true and he wants to restore you fully as a son and daughter of the most high God, his bride, so that we would now run out of these buildings and proclaim like the woman at the well, let me tell you about a man who knew everything about me and he didn't reject me, but he loved me and he redeemed me and he saved me. Father God, we love you, we thank you. This is our story. And we're grateful. Teach us. Teach us to listen. Teach us to learn. Teach us to grow. Teach us to find our hope in you. Oh, merciful God. In the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, everybody said amen.